Hi, this is a new episode of the History and Politics podcast, and we are with a great guest. Today we are with Alex Muresino, which is a Young Voices contributor and also a, a long conservative columnist, and we are going to talk about the future of conservatism. Hi, Alex. Hey, Camilo. Glad to be here. Yeah, so you have written a really interesting article that I think we will start the conversation. It's about anti-Trump conservatism, and, and you, you identify as, as an anti-Trump conservatism way. And, and, and you were mentioned that the left-wing um, large of the, of the Democratic Party uh, makes difficult for, for, for conservatives like you to, to try to, 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 to support a particular that kind of left-wing Democrats. And I think it's, it's an interesting point, but I think I am kind of surprised that it hasn't been made till now. Yeah, so I think it's kind of interesting to consider um, the Democrat. I think it's important in, in a two-party system to, to take a look at both parties as how they influence or, or relate to different ideologies. And so um, I think that if the Democrats wanted to win, to, win over, say, anti-Trump conservatives or Romney-Clinton voters, um, they would not be um, sort of trying to, to drum up their base as much as they are and, and pushing to the left, sort of court, courting the Bernie Sanders supporting demographic um, and, and trying to sort of push uh, uh, more towards what they call democratic socialism. We have that sort of constant Twitter battle over what democratic socialism actually means. Um, but at least, you know, a, a, a pandering to the, the sort of pro-Bernie Sanders demographic. I think if the Democratic Party really wanted um, to, to welcome in a lot of anti-Trump conservatives, I think they would they would uh, uh, more focus on um, perhaps what Cory Booker was like maybe four years ago um, when he was more sort of supportive of, of school choice and uh, he defended, um, he defended uh, Mitt Romney's career in private equity famously uh, during the 2012 campaign, um, he once talked about, you know, how entitlement reform was sort of a worthy cause. Um, so if the Democrats wanted to win back those sort of, you know, suburban voters who, um, who maybe have went from Romney to Clinton or weren't that enthused by Donald Trump, I think they could. Um, but I don't think that it's necessarily in the Democratic Party's, uh, voting interest. I think they, there are a lot more votes to be had by attacking left on economics than uh, better to be had by attacking right and picking up some of the uh, more anti-Trump people like me. Yeah, that's 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 a choice, I, I guess. But I mean, this this is uh, the ideological lens of, of this divide that Trump has generated is very interesting because, for example, like <clears throat> with the with the Koch brothers, when the Koch brothers mentioned the that they will be willing to, to support Democrats. Although I think uh, they have supported some Democrats. Uh, Andrew Cuomo, of all people, has been supported, if I'm not wrong, at least uh, in the past by, by some <coughs> co foundations. But, but the issue is that, that there is certainly a divide between the what the discourse of the Republican Party has been for a while and what the 
what the position of, of Trump has been on, on issues like trade, particularly, and, and that they are generated a, a very complex issue. And it's very, very funny, you know, sometimes being seeing some, some Fox News becoming almost paleoconservative for a moment in, in their stacking points, and, and Thomas Macy uh, saying that diplomacy should be um, a very should be a star in every in every occasion i mean it's it's very striking even as someone who was uh, uh who turns to have a more valid foreign policy it's very strikingly like having a, a really hardcore diplomacy first in on all the on all issues uh it, it's it's certainly having a, a very a, a very complexity how the libertarian ideas and conservative ideas are are relating in this moment, in a moment where for some part there is certainly, I don't know if the term is correct, isolationist, but certainly um, uh, there is a break with the standard foreign policy and at the same time that break also represents uh, a break with the with the standard trade policy that, 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 that conservatives have been supportive for, for a while. Yeah, I think it's also, I, I'm, I'm kind of almost skeptical of, of, of giving the Trump administration perhaps uh, credit for, for the, the sort of, um, the, the idea that the, the Trump administration, I think a lot of, a lot of, or maybe not a lot of, some libertarians would like to think of the Trump administration as, as sort of, they certainly have broken away, the Trump administration certainly has broken away from sort of the, the foreign policy, bipartisan consensus, or, or however you would like to characterize it as, um, by, you know, moving seemingly more towards, like, uh, being more friendly to Russia, less friendly to NATO. Um, but I don't think it's by, like, a motivated... I don't think Trump gets any credit for being some kind of peacenik. Uh, like, because, because he's certainly willing to... Um, uh, play ball with certain countries that he, he likes. Um, and uh, so as far as foreign policy goes, I don't, I don't, I honestly am not sure Donald Trump even has like a, a, some kind of guiding force other than sort of some conception of America first, which um, means various things at, at various points. I think it often translates to just Trump first. Um, I don't think that being like, Super pro Russia is necessarily in America's best interest, um, but uh, and then I think one other thing that Trump did is that he kind of cracked a lot of um, he, he he took positions that that were so, so the Republican base maybe turns out a lot around some social issues um, and generally tax cuts are pretty popular um, generally. Uh, but what Trump did when he ran for president was he um, cut a lot of sort of fiscal conservative, like, uh, you know, conservative academic, conservative intellectual think tank, a lot of preferred policy positions of the sort of smart set, as it were, and just decided to throw them out. And it turns out his other counter positions are more popular, so like trade, um, like every, every economist, including every conservative economist, basically thinks that trade is good. Um, but turns out that that's not a super popular political position. Um, same with entitlement reform. Uh, you can even find like 
as recently as maybe 2012, you can find like plenty of Democrats who are like, yeah, it would be a good idea to try to rein in some of these big entitlement programs to make them more sustainable. But Donald Trump comes in the campaign and just goes not touching them. And that, that, that ended up winning because if you look at polling data, like 10% of the Republican, elect, the Republican electorate, not the general electorate, the Republican electorate, um, only 10% of them support um, any form of cuts to Social Security. Um, so I think that's really what, so like people talk about, you know, the, the, um, the House passed, you know, a, a tax cut bill, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that is pretty generic. Um, it has a lot of good parts, but it's like a very standard, like, this is what you were, roughly what you were going to get with any Republican president. But at the same time, the GOP has kind of given up on entitlement reform and cutting spending, um, which are things that they've talked about for a really long time that aren't actually broadly very popular. So in that context, what, what do you make of the last proposition of Marco Rubio? Of... Oh, the paid family leave? Yes. Yeah, I haven't looked too much into that. Um, it seemed interesting, but I don't really know enough to take a, a strong position on that. Um, yeah, that's it. I think Marco <laughs> really Rubio yeah, is, a, is a quite interesting character. I mean, he he for a moment said that, 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 that his position was to, to be kind of a middle between uh libertarians and neocons for say in some way and then he but his points started sounding much more hawkish so i think even more realist uh, of different kinds start to put less attention in what he was saying but uh, with the time he seems particularly now in the trump administration shifting to to local issues and and I think it's it's going to be interesting his kind of development for because uh, I remember in in the Obama years he was considered the future of the Republican Party and now he's uh, he's not as as popular as, as in that moment. Yeah, I think what Rubio is sort of trying to do is that so so back in maybe twenty fourteen, I think although this sort of idea had been had been kicking around for about a decade. Um, is the sort of reformicons, the which is mostly I think a, a group of uh, like like Rehan Salam and uh, Ross Douthat and a couple other people who are sort of like Republicans need to sort of restructure their policies to be you know more centered around I think the term that they used a lot was Sam's Club Republicans or um, the middle class basically the Republicans should have you know more of a focus on like middle ta middle class you know child tax credits and earned income tax credits and then sort of universal catastrophic care, maybe for health care or the Singaporean model, um, and more of a focus on that and less of a focus on um, typical, like, conservative ideas about, like, cutting spending or, um, or you know, supply-side economic ideas. And I think Rubio, with his, his focus on um, the paid family leave, is sort of trying to get that and so like the reformicon movement was supposed to basically capture the sort of voters that like became trump voters um but like trump used very different policy or generally pretty different policy prescriptions um or not really policy prescriptions at all like um 
like he would just say, like, my healthcare plan is going to be great, and it's going to cover more people, and it's going to be cheaper, and everything's going to be awesome, as opposed to, like, well, we're going to make some trade-offs here about cost and whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think Rubio is sort of trying to bring that sort of reform economy, like, we need more ideas specifically directly geared at the middle class, rather than aiming for, like, economic growth that will help everyone. Um, but I think Rubio is at least an interesting character to watch, even though I generally um, disagree with him. I tend to, on economic issues, depending on what it is, I tend to be more of like the traditional um, conservative libertarian views, but he's interesting, to, uh, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting looking if there is a base for, for the kind of, 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 of conservatism he, he espouses. Uh, I, I think, well, but in other issues that that also have to do probably with with the with the point that that we are talking earlier that that Marco Rubio was seeing as, as the future of the Republican Party when he was willing to compromise, particularly on the issue of immigration, and and that was uh, the end of aid with, with with McCain was kind of the the, the last point of his of his of his promising career. I, I think he still has a, an interesting career, but um, of his presidential ambitions in the in the near term, it was um, it was very surprising to see how the thick uh, of that move was. I, I think few people could have predicted it would have been so quick that that effect from being the front runner to the kind of of getting behind and and I guess that's the the other issue which is what's the conservative view of immigration yeah I guess I guess one thing on the 2016 primary I think it was it was interesting because at least for me what turned me off from from Rubio in that primary was initially as far as people who were sort of close to the front like I should theoretically line up with Rubio a little bit more than I would with like Cruz or Trump who were the final two and I'm a little to the right of John Kasich I would say so I didn't really line up with him on policy either so Rubio theoretically should have been my guy but he just was so um awkward on the debate and with the uh with the the famous uh Let's dispel the notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's talking about. He knows exactly what he's talking about, Gaff. Like, just made him seem so unready to be president and not ready for prime time. Um, as, as far as immigration goes, yeah, um, I think the Republican Party has really gone off the deep end, at least as far as policy proposals. Um, there's sort of a recurring... Uh, uh, how would you say a recurring a recurring soundbite that all of the you know surrogates for the Trump administration or for legislative proposals always say uh, when they're on cable is they say oh no our problem's only with illegal immigration like we love legal immigration just we're just trying to you know enforce our laws and secure the border and stuff um, but that really hasn't been the case with recent immigration proposals like the raise act which was pretty uh, well liked in among the conservative base and um even like the compromise quote-unquote proposal that the trump administration put out in like february i think um like every big like republican-led push to reform excuse me to reform immigration 
has included a reduction in legal immigration, um, which is kind of foolish and it's also and it's also kind of disingenuous when um, Republican politicians insist, "Oh, our complaint is only with legal immigration, only with illegal immigration," which is not borne out by their own proposals. Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 uh, an interesting. I think it's 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 true. I mean, it's. I think it's it's easier, I guess, the the issue of illegal opposing illegal immigration, the opposing legal immigration is much more difficult to argue, I guess, uh, at least generally, and and it's it's getting to a point that, that there are going to be interesting kind of developments. Uh, for example, like a lot of people is talking about Beto O'Rourke in 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 Texas and it's going to be an interesting kind of of, of election because Ted Cruz also was seen as, as, as the future of conservatism uh, but um, and I think he probably still has the future if he he wins uh, the Senate race although it, some people said it's going to be closer than that it was expected but but it's still interesting because um, uh, Texas has been a reliable red state, and the issue that, that that there are Democrats like like O'Rourke who are jumping on the issue of immigration to to kind of, uh, of push the the state towards a more leftward shift, and it's going to be interesting the kind of developments that, that this will have for the future. Yeah, I think. I mean. I think the the big part, of, as far as sort of the, the Texas race go, I think Cruz will probably win, but not by much, or not as much as you would expect from Ted Cruz, the ultimate Republican, I would say, in theoretically the ultimate red state. Um, but I would say sort of what a, a lot of sort of I, I would say sort of fringe. Republicans or fringe right wingers will, will sort of do this sort of racial dog whistle thing about you know about how like oh if we let in a bunch of immigrants then they'll all vote Democrat and it'll be the end of you know Republican rule or whatever, um, which hasn't really been the case. Like um, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, tends to do very well with um, Hispanic American voters. Um, and I think that sort of the idea that like, more immigration must mean um, uh, a, a like must mean that the Republicans will lose. I, I think the idea that the Republicans can't make their case to immigrant groups or um, recent, you know, uh, like second or third generation um, Americans, I think that's kind of um, horse pucky. Um, and I think there have been plenty of instances of Republicans performing very well among these groups. I think. The issue now is, is more actually Republicans need to just make their case to these these groups instead of um, writing them off as, as automatic losses. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly interesting kinds of developments all over the, the conservatism and, and immigration. For example, like Tom Cotton was someone who was probably mostly identified with the neoconservative wing of, 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 of the Republican Party. And, his positions of immigration have, have shifted uh, toward a much more nativist uh, lens, and, and and it's it's curious. I, I think it's it's very interesting because um, 
neoconservatism having a, a vision for for the war in general, a global vision to say uh, the least, uh, has. Uh, hasn't been known to, to have this kind of, of nativist positions as much as uh, uh, surprisingly as strong as Tom Cotton has, has been pushing. Yeah, yeah, I think Cotton, see, see, I think that's sort of an interesting breakdown for sort of hawks in the GOP is that um, I think that, I think there are a lot of people so I think there, there's sort of a, a, a sort of a, a narrow, a broad definition of neoconservative might just mean hawk, um, but I think sort of a different type of neoconservative, um, a sort of more more narrow definition would be someone who who tends to be more interested in like the U.S.'s like position in the world in like a sort of we are the leader of the free world, who generally likes like international institutions like the U.N. or NATO a little bit more than sort of a hawk and i think like tom cotton strikes me i'm not much i don't know much about cotton necessarily but he strikes me as being more as just sort of like a hawk like the u.s needs to be strong like peace through strength um whereas say someone might be more whereas i would say like the sort of neocon philosophical position is like um the pax americana that like the U.S.'s role as sort of uh, uh, the the U.S. It's not it's not peace through strength for America. It's peace through America's strength for the whole world. Um, and and I think Cotton is a little bit more like nationalistic than the typical like quote unquote neocon would be. Um, and I, I I like tend to be more open to like quote unquote like globalist ideas like. Um, I, I do I, I do think that the U.S. should say, for example, admit more refugees than we currently do, um, and so I think that's sort of an interesting breakdown as well. And how you see Nikki Haley? The, the, that is, is I, I don't know how to describe her uh, her politically and what um, section or part of the Republican Party she is. Yeah, I think she strikes me more as being like a, 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 a more more traditionally. Um, I, I would say she strikes me generally as just a more traditional Republican, um, uh, which is good, uh, uh, preferable, I would say, to the sort of Trumpian wing. <laughs> um, but uh, um, you know, I, I think she, she has more a little bit more of an international. Uh, not not sort of a super internationalist, but a little bit more of an internationalist understanding, I would say, of what the U.S.'s role in the world is than most members of the Trump administration, and she's less of, um, in contrast to say John Bolton, um, I think she's a little bit less cavalier in a philosophical sense about the use of military force than say John Bolton would be. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Nikki Haley because I think she has sort of very good leadership qualities and, and seems like a, a, a you know, super, very smart, uh, capable um, leader. But I, I, I would say philosophically, she seems just sort of like a, a standard Republican. Um, yeah, so that, that, that could be a, a definition. I think that, that probably the reason why 
there is a tension here is that she strikes as different as, as the more Trumpian characters that are emerging now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there are certainly a very kind of, of heterodox cohort you know, from people like Roger Stone, which which politics are very weird. I don't know how, how to describe it, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, I, I think... I watched the documentary about him like four times, and I still don't know what his actual politics are. And yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's weird. Yeah, I guess that, that there is certainly. Um, and how do, do you think it's possible a challenge a primary to Trump? Do you think someone was going to be willing to do that? I think there are people who would be willing to do it, and I would probably support them. But I don't think that there's any chance that it would be close to successful um, because Trump really scratches an itch that a lot of the Republican base wants to be scratched. And um, I don't think that, like, Trump's approval rating among Republicans, I can't remember what exactly it is, but last I checked, I think it's somewhere in the 80s. And I find it hard to imagine that um, a primary challenge would be successful. Um, I think also it has to do with like the composition of the Republican base, like the, the primary voters. So the type of people who might credibly be able to like rally the, the primary voters aren't the type of people who would challenge him. So like maybe Ted Cruz, if Ted Cruz wanted to primary Trump and hadn't sort of made peace with it, made, made peace with Trump and been sort of on his side now, despite all of their past personal interactions, um, he might be able to rally the base, but like Jeff Flake, like I generally like Jeff Flake, um, and I philosophically line up very closely with him, um, but I can't imagine him getting more than 10% of the primary vote um, if he ran against Trump. Same goes for John Kasich. Um, Sass, I don't think, is really interested. Um, is there anybody else? Bill Crystal. No. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't think a primary challenge would end well um, as much as I uh, would like to believe that it would. And what do you make of Jeff Flake's departure? Because it's going to be kind of... Uh, I mean, he he's someone who, who in the past has been described as a libertarian, although he has difference, I guess, with I guess the most hardcore wing of libertarianism. But, but he's certainly someone that was different in many ways than the, the most conventional Republican politicians. Yeah. I would say I, I think there there was sort of this this I, I don't know recently maybe maybe against him that he spent um, right now I think he's he he did something related to elections in some country in sub-Saharan Africa I think it was I'm gonna double check I think it, I want to say it was um, like elections um, he was in he, okay he was in he was in um, Zimbabwe, apparently, doing, like, election stuff, um, and a bunch of people who were Republicans were angry because him being out 
of um, Washington, like, slowed down the Kavanaugh confirmation process. Um, and, uh, but I think overall, like, him, there, there was sort of a smear campaign against him when he started talking out against Trump pretty, you know, vociferously, that, that Flake was, was like a fake conservative or that he didn't have a conservative voting record. That's not really true. Like, the American Conservative Union, like, um, gave him, like, a 93% rating, and um, he tended to be, even after he was in the Senate, people said, oh, well, he became a liberal in the Senate, but really he, sort of, he was sort of a median vote in the Republican um, caucus. So um, Flake tends to, tended to be a little bit more pro-immigration and pro-trade and maybe softer on a couple of other issues um, that aren't super big. Like, the base is pretty restrictionist, and the base is pretty anti-trade right now. So, like, his more traditional, like, libertarian or more traditional free market positions are, are, are sort of out of style. And maybe the policies that he's a bit more soft on are the policies that the base is particularly um, aggressive or, or hardline conservative about. Um, I'm bummed to see him go because, like, I basically agree with him philosophically. Um, but he might not have been able to win in Arizona anyway. Yeah. So I think to 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 end the, the conversation, do you think will, there will be Trumpism beyond Trump? Um, I think that there will definitely be long-term impacts of Trumpism on the Republican focus. Um, I think that entitlement reform won't come back for another maybe decade or something. That's my prediction. I think um, Trump has made, Trump gave up on this position. He said no cuts to Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security on the campaign. He was like the only candidate on the Republican side to do that, and I think that really helped him. So I think Republican candidates are going to shy away from that in the future. Um, I think there's going to be definitely some more sort of immigration. I think he's, he's moved the Overton window to the right on immigration. I think that's going to have reaching impacts for the, other, for the next decade. Um, Although at the same time, the left has shifted over to their Overton window much to the left on immigration. Um, so I'm not sure how that's going to turn out. Um, is there any other? Yeah, I think trade will have somewhat of a negative impact. His position on trade will, will shift the Republican Party in a, in a worse direction. Um, but as far as, like, I guess the real concern, what I was worried about when I um, said I wanted to vote against Trump, I, I couldn't vote because I was 17 at the time, but I, I said I would have uh, um, supported Clinton because I was like, um, if with, with Trump, Trump is going to be a what about line for Democrats for the next 70 years um, that the Republican parties are, uh, that, that, you know, Trump was president. Now you can, can point to him saying, well, any complaint that you have about immorality um, can be justified. Well, well, you guys elected Donald Trump. Um, and so I think that is going to have the longest term impact more than any sort of policy preference. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think, think that I think the sort of long term damage that he does is sort of uh, discrediting a lot of sort of social conservatives who have backed him vociferously. Um, I think that is sort of a more long term impact that he'll have than anything about trade or immigration. Well, I think with with that we will leave it here. It has been really great talking to you. Yeah, it's been great talking to you, Camila. So, where do those people who follow you find where, what are you writing? Uh, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at a hard to spell. Um, I am a contributor for Young Voices, so I get articles in a bunch of different publications. I had one in the Federalist today. Um, as we're recording, and um, I last summer I interned at the Tax Foundation, so I have some articles there that you might want to read if you're interested in taxes. And uh, Lone Conservative, I have a bi-weekly column there, um, so once every two weeks I have an article there. So check out those places if you want to see more of my stuff. All right. Right. That that sounds great. Uh... Thank you for, for being a guest. It was great talking to you. Thanks for having me.